from the Nathan Blacklock Institute for Spatial Awareness. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. This is the Rugby League Cemetery, and it's very good to have you with us. Uh, as we approach Rugby League season, my friends, Rugby League is coming back. And in that spirit, we've decided to, uh, to share with you one of the great comebacks in Rugby League history. We're going back to round 25, 2004, St. George of Lawara, 36, Manly, 34, in front of 13,913 loonies in the rain at Cogra. And, uh, well, <clears throat> this, this, is, this is one of the most bizarre one of the strangest, one of the most extraordinary first-grade games you would ever hope to see. Uh, Manly kick out to a 12-nil lead. They then get themselves to 24-4 at half-time. They get themselves to 34-10 with 27 minutes to go, and they don't win. They get beaten by the Dragons, who score five tries in 20 minutes. Uh, it is absolute madness, Gazzy, and I've got to tell you, our decision to watch this game was a moment of pure inspiration. I'm absolutely delighted that we watched this. Oh, you, you've nailed it. This was your choice, and I bow down to the king. This was phenomenal football. It was, uh, if you go for the Dragons, or indeed anyone, but particularly the Dragons <laughs> off the Charity Shield form yesterday, I suggest you watch this 26 times this year each weekend. Yes. And just check, the, check the score afterwards, because there's no way you're going to have a better day than this. No. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I might do that too. Basically, if your team's not in the top four, watch this every week instead, and you'll have a much better time. Uh, one fact check I'm going to run on you. You said there was 13,000 people people there. There wasn't 13,000 when the comeback started. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, we will get to that. Incredible amount of people have plowed out the gate with 25 oh, minutes it. left and they deserve everything they got sucked in. If it mm. happened to you, we'd love to hear from you, but you deserve it. Like, yeah, never, you've got to hold the faith. You can't go home league. early. No, you, you can't go home early. I Yeah, I was at an Anzac Day game once a few years ago. I think it was about 2013 um, and it was the Dragons. The Dragons of the Roosters on Anzac Day at the, at the football stadium. And the Dragons were eight points behind with three minutes to go and they were kicking off. Mm. And the bloke next to me was with his son and they were both St. George fans, but they were also Collingwood fans. And the bloke decided that he would, that they'd go home. This game was over and they'd go home and try and catch the end of Essendon versus Collingwood in the AFL, also an Anzac Day fixture. So he, walk, so he walks off, right, as the goal goes over. So George kick off. Matt Pryor catches the kickoff on the full out in the centres, streaks away to score. They get the kickoff. They go back down there. And Michael Wayman, remember Michael Wayman threw that beautiful underlay, that's, that, that offload to put, I think, Ben Cray over next to the posts in the final seconds. They scored two tries in two minutes and won the game. And I always think... clutch plays there by big name players. But yeah, the people you expect to get it done in the clutch. But... Uh, yeah. you, I always think of whatever I think of that day. I think God, I hope that bloke and his kid turned around. I hope they got to. They weren't at the gate yet when the roar went up for the try, and they came yeah, back I, to see the end. I, I, I don't. You'd, I don't. You'd never get. You'd never get over it. No. No, I just don't think that. I think if you're going off to watch Collingwood play AFL, you deserve everything you get. That's fair. Piss off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want you. Yeah. No, exactly. This is a this is a very funny era for both these sides. Um, the Dragons, of course, having merged in '99. 
uh, had not re- they'd made the grand final in '99 and lost in circumstances we've discussed before uh, through you know Jamie Haynes Co. Uh, decapitating Craig Smith, and then they hadn't done any good. They they were having brought all those players together. They really stunk the competition up. Ninth, seventh, seventh, and tenth. Like they they would would have been expected to be a bit of a super club when you put those Illawarra players with the existing St George side, and they just weren't. And in 2009, Nathan Brown took over, age 29, and the Dragons came 10th. Um, what year, sorry? What year? He took over in 03, yeah, I so the year before this. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. And they came 10th. And this was the first year that they'd sort of been in the hunt a little bit. They, were, they, were, they came into this game fifth, and they ended up finishing fifth, albeit uh, 10 points off the lead. Uh, whereas Manly <clears throat> were probably in as bad a slump as they've been in Possibly ever. ever. Yeah, possibly ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Since they were first good, if you look at when they were first good, right back at the start when they became a good team yeah. for the first time, I don't think they'd have ever been this bad for, you know, that length of time uh, ever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like they, they made the they made the, the, the they got in just on the tail end of the top ten in ninety eight, having been seconds away from winning the grand final in ninety seven. Um and then the North, then they merged to form the Northern Eagles. Um who never made the finals. And here's a stat for you about the Northern Eagles. Never won more than two games in a row. Yeah, it's good that. It, <laughs> it's not much of a, a path to going anywhere, is it? No. Um, they also once played in front of – they once um, – I don't know how many people ended up going, but they once sold under 1,000 tickets to a game oh, of Gosford. Um, I, I think they got a bigger crowd than that because there is inevitably a walk-up, but they sold – they had under 1,000 tickets sold on by, you know, game day morning. Outstanding, um, which is just like it almost impossible to do, really. Yeah, yeah, like, it's quite, it's yeah. Yes. Um, and then the, the, they come, they they go back to being manly. They come fourteenth in two thousand and three, thirteenth in 04. Like they're dreadful. Um, and this is this is two thousand and four. This is Des Hasler's first year. They mm. won their first game and then lost six in a row, rounds two to seven. They lost four in a row from round fourteen to seventeen, and they just kept getting like they weren't just losing; they were getting really rolled. Like this was a manly side that were in huge trouble. Um, for just to run you through a couple of their results mm. from 2004 52 12 against Parramatta, 56 12 to Newcastle, 50 to 32 against the Bulldogs, and 72 12 against Penrith in round 22. Seven hundred and fifty seven hundred and fifty four points in 24 games. The the funny thing is, uh, I think, uh, to talk about the juncture of the coaches in a moment, but the funny thing is if they weren't in such a diabolical state leading into that, Des Hasler would never have been given the chance to end up as Des Hasler from here. No. Like if you have that season as basically a rookie coach um, at, say, any club that can really, you know, they were just so bad. They were sort of in that sort of state the Tigers are in at the moment where um, – the Tigers have tried so many coaches and been so bad for so long. They've just decided to just not sack the coach they've got now. So yeah. they, when they come where they did every year, they just go, well, ah, well, we just got to back something. And like me yeah. was sort of had been so bad. It was like, well, there's not really much point in being upset that they got beat by 70 and then 50 twice and are coming 13th. We may as well just back this, but, but he has obviously turned out to be one of the better coaches of modern times and had a wonderful coaching career. And I don't think at, at many clubs, if he starts like that, he'd have just ended up on the scrap heap. And, yeah. um, that, that probably goes into, there was probably two points off what you said that I, I wanted to note. Um, first one, just about the coaching. Um, it's funny that Nathan Brown at this point is in a similar place in his career to Des Hasler um, in that they're both sort of trying to 
make their way at their old club and prove themselves as a coach. Um, and I guess the funny thing is that he finished at St. George and history records Nathan Brown as the guy who just couldn't get them over the line and Wayne Bennett had to be brought into Kingmake and then yeah. you know, Brownie went to Newcastle and they you know, didn't go much good either. So he doesn't have much of a reputation. But in a funny way, when you look at how they were going before he got there, like he, rather than, oh, the guy that couldn't get them over the line, he very much did get them from being quite bad to regularly being in the preliminary final and, and up there. And yeah. so you probably deserve some level of credit for taking a club that was perpetually not making the finals and building them into being there every year and being, you know, there was a lot of years they were, they were pretty much just the pseudo favourite every year. Just like, oh, yes, and George will probably go close. Yeah. Um, after this and he probably didn't get much credit for that and he didn't get over the line and it's basically history he's a bit of a footnote as terms of any legacy as a coach um whereas des hasler um you know builds manly up very slowly jags one then keeps going and sort of is, is able to build the momentum as one of the great coaches of his era um mm. and it really could go either way at this point <laughs> you know like yeah, um, yeah either of them... grabs one with the dragons yeah yeah they um, both take it on at similar times and they either of them could have gone in either direction yeah that's true yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I... I guess the only other thing with them was just the, the, the Illawarra thing. It's probably some of that fall off. I think you'll find with the merger, quite a lot of the best players were quite old. If you mm. look at when they came together in nine, you look at the teams and start going through Coins and McGregor's and they had Mackay and, you know, Mundine. And like, if you really roll through a lot of those names, they inherited a really good side, but they weren't necessarily all going to play for very long. Well, um, it was a... Richard was, a... was playing, you know. It was sort of, it was a 90s side, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, was, there yeah. was there was guys who had been who'd made the '96 grand final and that kind of thing. That, um, yeah, that's true. Sprinkled um, with Steelers, yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, I might um, I might take you through the teams. I, I got to tell you, I was thinking that this might be a good idea to watch this game, and then I looked at the team sheets, uh, and I was certain. Um, I'll just I'll just go through them for you. Uh, the Dragons fullback Ben Hornby. Wings, Nick Youngquest and Nathan Blacklock. Centres, journeyman John Carlaw and Matt Cooper. Halves, Trent Barrett, who's captain, and Matthew Head. Uh, the forwards, Brent Kite and Justin Poor in the front row. The hooker, Mark Riddell. Uh, second row, Dean Young and Lance Thompson and Locke, Sean Timmons. The bench, Aston Sims, Michael Henderson, Ben Cray and the great Lincoln Withers, pocket rocket, pocket dynamo. Uh, and, and Manly, uh, fullback Brett Stewart. Wings, Scott Donald and Nick Bradley-Galalawa. That was thrilling, I've got to tell you. Centres, Paul Stevenson and Albert Torrens. The halves. Now, how's this for a bit of Des, early Des magic? <laughs> uh, Luke Williamson at 5'8", benching Andrew Walker uh, wow. with, with, with Michael Monaghan, halfback and captain. Michael Monaghan rolled show Steve Menzies for the captaincy mid-season. They took it off the beaver, gave it right, to Monaghan. Okay. Um, front rows, Daniel Heckenberg and Kylie Lulawai. Hooker Chad Randall, second row, and this is such a collision of eras. Anthony Watmo and Solomon Hamono, um, yeah. and Lock Steve Menzies, and a bench of Andrew Walker, Shane Dunley, Glenn Stewart, and Sam Harris. Can yeah. I suggest it's like <laughs> both those teams? There's a lot of like mad names in there, but also yeah. it's such a mashing together of eras. Like yeah. Albert, Albert Torrens to me is one yeah. of the kind of one of the signature names of the bad Manly era, which is not to say yeah, he was yeah. a bad player, but he was in those sides that weren't any bad good. teams. Yeah, yeah, and all and, and like Solomon Hamono is very much a '90s kind of player in my yeah. mind. And then he's playing with yeah. Watmo, 
Um, Brett Stewart. <laughs> and Brett Stewart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've got like, yeah. you've got the yeah. basic bits of the Manly side that ends up being very, very good with the Stewarts yeah. and Watmo and all of this and Monaghan and all these guys. But then you've got players from the bad Manly team. Mm. And yeah. they and over time they sort of get sifted out and suddenly Albert Torrens becomes Steve Maddai and mm. you know, like it that they um and they mm. get they get offered in and all this sort of thing and it becomes a much better side. But the, they're two the, years away from making the finals, aren't they? They make yeah. the finals when Ben Ke- the Ben Kennedy goes there. Yeah, and 06. they end up they pull him at an 06 in the second season. He's there mm. and that's the big turning point of that club and why yeah. he's so highly rated there, even though he missed the competitions. The other very funny thing about that is that Steve Menzies is from all of the eras. He's from the yeah. he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's yeah. from the good manly era yeah. of the nineties, mm. and from the terrible manly era of the late nineties, early two thousands, yeah. and from the good manly era of 07, yeah. 08. Um Forming combinations along the way, forming combinations with Cliff Lyons, Michael Monaghan, and Matt Orford, like yeah. the people he ran off. That just yeah. seems wrong. And Tuvi, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very look, funny. I, if it's okay with you, I am mm. as excited as you. Can can I can I be indulged terribly because there's not a lot of point to this of just noting players from the people you've gone through there. I'm not going to stop on the good ones like Trent Barrett. Can I just note you quite a number of players that are either cultishly brilliant or not remembered mm. at all that I'm very fond of Go for, uh, it. for whatever reason. I'll try and keep it short. But firstly, Nick Youngquest, male model. Yes. Um, man in rugby league, professional model post-career. I tell you what, um, that, that modelling career nearly came to an abrupt hold in this game. He got whacked across the yeah. chops a couple of times. Yeah. There was a few that copped that, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyone that went near Anthony Watmount got a bit. And Tunley. Um, Mariner John Carlaw, enough said. Well, um, this is another collision of eras. <clears throat> John Carlaw's centre pairing with Matt Cooper is very odd yeah. to me. Like, it's just yeah, all wrong. Yeah. This well, you don't anything with uh, Gaznier out when you no. pull and former Mariner John Carlaw. Well, that's right. And John Carlaw, who, of course, famously played for uh, one season for the Mariners, one for the Storm, one for Belmain, two for the West Tigers, two for the Warriors, and one for the Dragons. This was his last right ever. Mm. This was his last ever first grade game. It's uh, it's not exactly the Morrises, is it? Floating between like the Roosters and like a Grand Final Saint side, a Grand Final Bulldog side, and into the Roosters. Like it's, no, it's not a quite. Journey and progression, but at all the wrong clubs yeah. to be at at that time. <laughs> um, no offense to St George, is a great club, but not at this time. Mm. Um, then I've got obviously Matt Head. I was in you know, now. You and I don't need to really go over too much how fond we were of Matt Head, but I was a massive mm. Matt Head man. Um, Likewise, really ardent fan of Matt Head. Um, link but with this, this goes to our the, the, the Matthew Head thing goes to our fondness for like crafty, unathletic halfbacks, you know, and that, yeah, like, like this is it's a, yeah, it's the same as my you know, sort of like it, it kind of unending fondness for Brent Sherwin, mm. like guys who were sub elite yeah. but were just like very interesting and enjoyable to watch yep. and would try things yep. and do clever stuff, yeah, yep. Yep, exactly. Link Withers, known as the little hitman, the smallest hitman in rugby league. Yes. Hey, uh, Lincoln Withers, uh, I'll, I'll bring something up for you. Lincoln Withers' career win rate, um, having played for Canberra, the West Tigers, St. George of the Warra, and then Canberra again, mm. uh, career win rate of 39.6%. Yeah, seems overs. Um, seems <laughs> overs at those clubs at those times. Yeah. Um, 
Now, Scott Donald, fastest man in rugby league, with mm. the asterisks of only after Darren Albert left. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, fastest man in rugby league and an absolute hero of mine. And I've got a little bit on Scott Donald amongst some other players I'll talk about in a moment. That'll wait. Um, okay. Wait for that at the end. It comes into a larger scheme. Um, Nick Bradley Q, we've already been through. <laughs> um, too good. Now, Luke Williamson, I just want to note, Ram and Snow Game veteran. Yes. Um, two things. Now, didn't he on play that for, note, didn't he play for three um, defunct clubs? Like he played yep, for the yep. for Harlequins as well as like London yeah, Broncos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I, another thing on Luke Williamson, very important to note. Now, yes. in, in the you know, you know, we watched a lot of chicker games mm. in in this show. So, and we said we've watched. You know, he's in thirty percent of all classic games. This is the second game we've watched with Luke Williamson goal kicking. Yes, out of thirty something games we've picked as the greatest games in history to relive. He's kicking in. To, like that seems as a very high percentage given. I don't remember him overly being a goal kicker. No. And he did like hit the post and not kick it in the first one we watched in the snow game. But in his defense, he was much better without snow. Like in yeah, this he game, was. No, kicking without... was much more accurate. Yeah. Well, this is it. With a, with a better ability to see the posts. That's right. Also, uh, he was using a T, not the sand. I checked. Because he, he was using a sand, like sand and snow. So you know what? I can confirm he had moved to the T yeah. by this time. Yeah, with, can I, you know, can I, I, I just tell you? would have been up for it. No, I wouldn't have sand. thought so. Yeah. Hilariously, um, this was the only game that year that he kicked in. Yeah. So yeah. we've that's a real treat for us that we've been able to catch that. Um, Why did also, they move him to 5'8 for round 25, having never done it all year? Because presumably he didn't kick because Walker was 5'8. I just yeah. wonder what the thinking was for this one pointless game when they were coming 13th and couldn't, you know. Yeah, look, I do don't know, but I, competition. I'm, glad that he, uh, I'm glad that he did, can I say. And uh, look, on the subject of Luke Williamson, I just also want to note for the record that uh, people talk a lot of rubbish about the honey badger. Yeah, oh, yeah, I thought that too, yeah. Um, Luke Williamson was running that look long before it was cool, long before rugby yeah. union pretenders took it up. Yeah. Um, and I've got to tell you, I, and, and this is a message for Channel 10, if you're fair income about this bachelor concept, forget the honey badger, give us what we really want, which is Luke Williamson as the next bachelor. We're going to get that going. We'll be posting that up. Yeah, we will be posting that. Keep trying to get that up. Yeah, well, obviously, how many goals did the honey badger kick in the snow? Yeah, well, that's exactly right, and it, exactly. And when was the honey badger ever compared to Barry Dawson, the cougar? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. There's a real nexus of like, oh. there's a real nexus of Barry Dawson. Remember Barry Dawson, the cougar? Those ads. Yeah, yeah. There's a nexus of him, Luke Williamson, the honey badger, and Ron Palmer. We're all kind yeah, of in. Yeah, yeah. There's a real like blonde mustachio yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah. Good um, the right scene. Yeah. Um, moving on from him. Oh, look, I have nothing to say about this. I just want to note for the record that, you know, something you might not know about me and you can, mm. you know, something you'll now know about me is I was very fond of Daniel Heckenberg. And I've got no basis. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. I can't tell you why. And I don't have anything else to add, but I just wanted you to be aware that I really liked Daniel Heckenberg. <laughs> I'd like to know. I'd like to know that I thought Michael Monaghan was a very good player and that he was a bit, and, and, like a really oh, yeah. good footballer. I know he's a bit too well, good to be on this list that you're going through at the moment, yep. but I just mm. want it noted, and we'll talk a bit more about him, I'm sure. But well, he was I a very good footballer. I picked him for New South Wales. Three years in a row, I campaigned for him to be picked in the Origin side on my MySpace page um, yeah, in high school. That yeah, would have caught no fire, point. you'd imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did. I wanted him in. I thought he should be the New South Wales halfback for a number of years, and I really thought they buggered up getting the ox in, which I think history will, will support me on them, having sort of essentially made two grand finals in, in a row. Yeah. There and, and one, but anyway, um, Chad Randall is next on my list. Uh, 
just basically because he's uh, Terry Randall's crap son and ended up being an exile. He, yeah, he, he did. Well, he made the 52-man <laughs> train-on squad. I don't know if yes. he ever played for the exiles. So I'll try and find no, that out for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kylie Lulawai, Last Tiger. We've been over it before. Last Belmont Tiger, that's Tiger. right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, now, look, he's too good to be on the list, but any time that Solomon Hamono plays, we need to say pleasure machine. Oh, Gazzy. Pleasure machine. I, I'm glad you've brought this up because as soon as I saw, I, I can't think of Solomon Hamono without thinking of the pleasure machine. And no. um, and I it led me to find an article from uh, August 20, 2011. Jamie Pandaram in the Sydney Morning Herald got this, and I'll just run you through it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know what to believe anymore after reading this story. The most, in, the most infamous love pursuit in rugby league can finally be revealed as a fraud. Really? Solomon Hamono's around-the-world dash for model Gabrielle the Pleasure Machine, Richens, in 1998, created global headlines and, while some admired <laughs> global Global? <laughs> Which parts of the world were yeah, well, Did this I'll take off what, in the States? Mate, <laughs> you, couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't go anywhere in Morocco without people wanting to talk about the Pleasure Machine and Solomon Hamono. I I, fact, so. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I remember being in Addis Ababa once, you know, in uh, and, and someone said to me, what do you think of the, pl-? and it was 1998, and they said, what do you think of the pleasure machine? Do you reckon, do you reckon Solomon's yeah. done the right thing? And, and I said, no, I hope they <laughs> put in a reserve grade. Yeah. No, bugger um, off. Bloody you can go anywhere. Right As I say, Ethiopia, the, everywhere. <laughs> they were mad for it. Um, Solomon Rano's Round the World Dash for Gabrielle, the pleasure machine Richens in 1998, created global headlines. And while some admired the romanticism, the trip was merely an elaborate ploy to wriggle out of his Bulldogs contract and join the St. George Dragons. Right. Listen to this. Holloman, uh, Homono never saw Richens and sat alone in a London hotel room waiting for the Bulldogs to tear up his contract after agreeing to terms with the Dragons. Now, right. you know, and, and people, you know, this, I, I always held this story up as an example that true love wasn't dead and then you find out that it was all, this, mm. it was all a racket. Whoa. But this is the kicker. Yeah. The plan was devised by Homono and close friend Anthony Mundine. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that good? So what I want to know here is how committed to the plan were they? Like, did he go over there and at least sort of, you know, have a start with the pleasure machine to add sort of like well, um, a bit of realism to it? Or was this a completely fabricated scenario? Because he'd like well, to think he'd go, well, come on, look, I'm trying to pull this off. Well, he didn't say he, he never saw her over there. The plan was devised by Hamano, a close friend, Anthony Mundane, uh, but fell over when the Bulldogs got wind. Bulldogs got wind of the plot and instead fined Hamono and put him in reserve grade. The Dragons yeah. hastily retreated. Um, uh, now, now pursuing his uh, now pursuing his dream to win the world heavyweight boxing crown, Hamono has come clean on the story in a bid to rid that association from his from his public image. Rarely is his name <laughs> mentioned without the pleasure machine story following. Yeah, uh, rightly. Yeah, this is how some, this is how Hamono sought to get out of his forty four hundred thousand dollar a year contract with the Bulldogs. He had actually chased after Richens much earlier but on meeting her in England, realised their relationship would not progress. <laughs> after, <laughs> after discussions with Mundine, it was decided they would use that story to explain his mystery trip, which left the Bulldogs dumbfounded. Yeah. Right. So, so when he says it didn't progress, is there a suggestion that she sort of was never much interested, but he flew over there on the chance she might be? <laughs> I did, like, there's a bit of a hint of that, yeah. I mean, um, you could have a go. It's well, I... <laughs> Yeah, the, this is uh, it was crazy. Chock added a twist by flying over to rescue me, and that just created more of a stir. 
We arrived back at Sydney and it was just chaos. All the media wanted to get on on the buzz, so it literally didn't stop. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. Um, and of course, the this this comes back to uh, Mundine subsequently helping Sonny Bill Williams escape to Toulon through the cunning plan of just leaving um, and never yeah. coming back, um, which you know was much more deft and creative. Yeah. Yeah, I would have preferred there'd be some sort of a, so I don't know if there's any model that really stands up to the pleasure machine afterwards, but you'd like mm. to think some sort of a la- elaborate background could have been played off. Oh, for Sonny Bill. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so there you go. So I, I, you know, true love is really is dead. There's a wonderful photo here, I've got to tell you, of uh, of Gabrielle Richens, Solomon Amono, and Anthony Mundine, which I will be posting on the Facebook page yeah, good. through good. the week because it's just a sensational bit of uh, content. Um, but yeah. there you go. So it's all... Um, it was all it was all a ruse. Yep, yep, exactly right. Well, that pretty much ends the players I wanted to go through, bar Andrew Walker, who's also mm. good to be on the list. But I just needed to note that he was playing and that there's people that might not have seen the best of Andrew Walker that might listen to this. You see everyone that doesn't know needs to know that he was a god, like a total god. And oh, then yeah. At both sports, league and union. And yes. he was the first dual international to play rugby league for Australia first. Um, certainly not the last. But ah. I just wanted to note that before we move on because it just needs to be noted. Um, he was, he was he, sensational. There's just a couple of moments in this game where he just has little, very clever little touches and you go, oh. Yeah, so classy. You know, yeah. If you will let me, before we get into the game, um, I just wanted to run you through something interesting about the tri- like about some of the, the, the try scorers in this game because um, yes. would you believe that we have four players in this game that have over 150 professional tries and that Nathan Blacklock has the fourth most career tries of players in this game? Is that um, right? At the professional level. He has wow. the third most the third most NRL tries in this game okay. and the fourth, fourth most tries overall in professional rugby league. So wow. if you will, uh, allow me to run you through the four we're going to talk about because the strike rates are just sensational here. So we're going to start with the snake. Brett Stewart, who is yes. in first year of first grade, mm. and just to digress slightly, is one of the great players. I know statistically, like the fact that he didn't really play rep footy and his knees went mean, he doesn't have this bank of 30 tests and 20 origins. But let me tell you, no mistake, when he at his best was one of the best fullbacks. You know, forget length of best and all this, that can go into an all time list. But if you wake up on any given year and can have any fullback at his best, he is as good as anyone that ever played. Like, you know, and as dangerous and electric as anyone that ever played when you get his best footy. And um, anyway, he scored 163 oh. NRL tries in 233 games at a strike rate of 70. He scored in 70% of the games he played. Mm. Um, and he had a really bad last season or so when his knees were shot. And I, I'd be surprised if he scored more than three, four, five in the last year. I reckon he would have really um, dropped that a little bit late in his career. But mm. for his career, 163 and 233 at 70%. We then have, this guy needs a bit of unpacking. We then have the Beaver, who has 180 yes. tries in 349 games at a strike rate of 52% playing in the back row. That's in the NRL. So 180 NRL tries in 349 <laughs> games at 52%. In this game, firstly, it's important to know he broke the record for try scoring forwards. And mm. didn't we hear about this back in the day? Every time a try scorer, one of the great tropes in the game, every time a, a forward was having a good season at scoring tries, there would be inevitable talk of Burge. Like Frank Burge, forever. baby. Yeah, boy. Forever. Like not just with the Beaver, but anyone had a good year. A few tries in a row. You go, oh, this is a real got a Frank Burge feel about it. It was a yeah. real, 
yeah, like trope in the game that now they can sort of compare them to Beaver. It sort of moved yeah, on. It's a shame. Me. It's much like it's yeah. similar to English players always having been compared to Mal really until the yeah, Burgesses. Yeah. yeah. Or Morley. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, if I can break down the, the, the Beaver a little bit more for you, is that so he ends up scoring 238 tries in 477 <laughs> professional Just games. A ludicrous career. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Um, so he's at 52% as a forward, which is quite out. Like, I mean, scoring in half your games as a forward is insane. But um, what do you, it's interesting. He, you can get a really cool breakdown with him because Manly go out of the competition in, in, um, 99 yeah um and then the northern eagles come in so you can break his stint that breaks the games up to manly northern eagles and then manly again mm. and obviously his second stint at manly is quite old and his first he plays off the bench a lot in his final year and stuff and and the northern eagles were terrible but i just thought just for a bit of a guide from manly so early 90s to 1999 with manly yeah um he plays 150 games for 104 yeah. tries oh. at six Nine percent of his games. Right. So, so to note, he plays a hundred and fifty games and scores at the same strike rate as Brett Stewart's career in those games, playing in the second row. One hundred and four tries in one hundred and fifty games in that stint at Manly until the Northern Eagles come in. He scores at seventy. He gets his it's first unbelievable. 100. His first hundred. We're not talking about a small strike rate. We're not going in cricket. Oh, his first five innings, he averaged eighty. Like we're talking. A hundred tries is an outstanding, outstanding professional career for anyone. And yeah. he scored his first hundred and four at a strike rate of seventy percent. Like it's seventy percent of the game he went over at. It's absolutely insane. Um and he scores fifty-eight in one hundred and twenty-eight games in the Super League at forty-five percent as like quite a decrepit old man. Like <laughs> to note, like yeah. he was very old at that point, and yeah. he's still like going over half the time. Um now we'll go on to the fourth highest scorer and the third highest NRL try scorer in this game, the great Nathan Blacklock. Yes. So Nathan Blacklock has 121 NRL tries in 142 games at a strike rate of 85%. It's unbelievable. 85%. 85. Um, he has 35 tries in 51 games in the ESL that takes his total to 156 tries, which is fourth on our list. And one more stat on Nathan Blacklock is that I think it's worth, he played for St. George briefly. He played one game for the, uh, five games for the Roosters for one try. And he played for St. George before the merger briefly. But we have to look at what he did for the merge side, the Dragons. Yeah, yeah. All right. 114 games, 100 tries at 88%. It's unbelievable. Rate. It's just so, like, like, it's just ludicrous. And we'll talk more about him. Because his involvement in this game, this is his, yeah. this, this comeback belongs to him more than anyone else. His and, last great moment, yeah. and this is this is his last this is his last day, and it's his last game at Cogra, and he was finishing up and moving to Hull and all of this, and some of the touches he has at the end of this game and the places he turns up on the field, we'll talk about it in a bit, but yeah. um, I it's just the, the instinct and the natural ability yeah. and the sense of the game is just unbelievable. There's never been anyone like him for those no. things, for that ability to just be where the ball ends up, um, yeah. and yeah, he, and do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, he's just extraordinary. He's wonderful. Um, now, here's the bolter for you. So oh, this yes. person has one more try than Nathan Blacklock in professional rugby league. Yes. Scott Donald, <clears throat> fastest man in league. Okay. So oh. he has 150 professional, uh, 157 professional tries. He has 93 in 145 games for Leeds. Yeah. Um, but let me, let me just hit you with this because this is bloody interesting. So – 
I always rated Scott Donald, and I think I'm on record about that a few yeah, times. Yeah, likewise. Today. No, likewise. Off, yeah. yeah, like off uh, off the record to you privately, I'm very, very like being heavy on Scott Donald. Like, so I don't know why he left. So I've had a look. He got 15 tries in 21 games for Parramatta, then 48 tries in 68 games for Manly for a 70% strike rate. So he scored like yeah. 48 plus 15. You're talking 63. He has 60, his first 63 tries at 70%, which is equal with the snake and equal with the beaver at Manly stint one. And yeah. he was lightning fast and quite good. I'm just wondering why he left. Maybe he got a good deal. It was the time in the game where there was money over there, but um you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not suggesting he was as good as Nathan Blacklock or or, or the Gifty, but I tell you, he could score. He, he um uh, or the Snake, but he scored tries. He was quick, mm. and he that that's a bloody good rate. Seventy percent's good going, like really good going, elite well, going. Didn't. Yeah, you'd, you'd have him yeah. now, wouldn't you? Like you, because he was never he was never a big name, and he was never uh, he would never, never pay much. Yeah, yeah, it would never have been expensive. He, yeah, it's it's a wonder that in a time of fifteen and then subsequently sixteen NRL clubs, he couldn't. Couldn't get a game. I suppose it was different back then in the sense that you could go, there was better, there was often better money in England than there was in Australia. Yeah. Um, That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And and so you did see people go early in their careers. Matt King, remember Matt King went around yeah. this time? He just bailed and went to the UK for a couple of years because the, because the money was there. It's, it's totally different now, of course. There's nowhere near the money yeah, over yeah. there that there is here, but... In that year, I was going at a point where they had a lot to offer. Like um, Trent yeah. Barrett goes over there, and when he comes back, he's still good enough to he's play still, Origin. Like, yeah, he's still good yeah, when he and, came back. Yeah, yeah, they weren't. They don't go over there decrepit to end their careers. They were able to say, you know what, I'm 30 and I can get the payday. Like I, I'm yeah. still good, but I can go over and make. I've done what I can do here, and I'm going to go over. But yeah, it's very interesting. I bet you wouldn't have thought when you'd ever watch a game of rugby league where three people in the field scored more professional tries than Nathan Blacklock. No. No, it's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're funny sides. Um, I the, the game itself uh, is also, and I think this is. The, the, I think there are two more things we have to note about this fixture. One is that it's heritage round, and I just yeah. want that noted. And and you know, I love heritage round. And two, um, this fixture the previous year was the occasion of the slap. Yeah, I, I wondered, because when we mm. got it on, I wondered if it was the slap. I thought, is this the slap? No, sadly. Um, but the slap happened the previous year, um, Manly versus George Illawarra. Uh, and it, the, the thing to remember about, you know, people people get all high and mighty about the slap, but you've got to remember what effect it had on the game. It was 12 all at the time that the slap happened. Mm. And Manly went on to win 38-12. So you've so you sort of got to back it as a motivational technique, like yeah, duking your yeah. own players across the side of the head. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it, there's, there's sort of it's it's got it's got runs on the board as a tactic. Um, yeah. <laughs> shall we shall we get into the game a little bit? Well, I suppose so. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's as a, you know we've we've set out the, the the narrative of this game a little bit, but I think we'll, we'll go through the tries and whatnot. Um, the first thing to note about this is that. Uh, Oh, by the way, one more thing. Um, mm. This is during the Oki Jubilee Stadium era. Mm. Yeah. I just wanted that noted. Um, yeah. And isn't this the the peak 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon Fox game? Yeah. In the sense yeah. that it's like a, to- a side that's like top eight but not going to do anything up against a side that's like ra- like no good. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those games yeah. that doesn't really have any bearing on – that isn't going to have any bearing on the comp. Yeah. And by this stage of the season, like Channel 9 is showing Canterbury and the Roosters a lot. And that, like, this is sort of it's a bit of a footnote game. Um, so they 
they run out in the heritage jerseys and straight away there is just a bit of a sense that we might see something special because the kickoff is calamitous and <laughs> uh, and clean bowls Luke Williamson for no apparent reason. Uh, about six manly players just kind of stand there and watch and then Brett Stewart tries to pick it up and slips over and is tackled in goal. They sort of balk each other, like it goes yeah. through the legs, and they both they all look at each other and make the first movement to pick the ball up, and then all stop, and yeah. then <laughs> so like that just le- allows that to dribble into because you rarely see a kickoff like this. You see like a dropout, not because they knocked on, not because they walked out after catching the ball or something, but literally because they got trapped in there. Like it's very yeah. uncommon. Yeah, yeah. Like they've all balked each other for long enough that when someone finally picks it up, the teams run from halfway and tackles <laughs> them in the eagle. Very uncommon. And you and I are absolute ardent proponents of like calamitous kickoff things. Oh, no, there's love nothing it. funnier than kickoffs flying like, apart from when Newcastle do it, there's nothing funnier than when kickoffs go like 10 metres dead and when yeah. guys like think they're dead but aren't sure and start like juggling and end yeah. up like catching it in the field of play and walking dead. And Two people you know, coming for it and bumping into each other, like yeah, all that sort of stuff. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love like it. Some, if people run into the post, like anything to do with the with kickoffs, it's like people missing touch with kickouts. Like all of that is just peak rugby league and why the game should be played forevermore. And it was, it certainly <laughs> set a tone that was lived up to. It can rarely be lived up to, but this game it's, does live up to that. But, but that's it. And so as soon as that happens, you go, oh, we're on one here. This is going. We're going to have a day. Um, but. <laughs> the other thing, just another early observation, is the Ducks and Drakes from Supercoach Nathan Brown uh, running, switching Riddell and Young at the kickoff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to mention that to you because I was going to say that's a really early sign. And you and I um, had to live through Nathan Brown's coaching um, and such things as like Jacob Safedi debuted as in any context at any level as an edge back rower in first grade, just on Nathan Brown's whim one year that he could do it. He then signed Kurt Mann saying we needed a hooker and he reckoned he could turn him into one yeah. who'd never played there and subsequently has barely ever played there for us except when we had four people be injured for the whole season. And thankfully, we now have a coach who doesn't play Kurt Mann there um, if he can avoid it. And, and these, yeah. so this is a real early sign. Like, but like Mark Riddell as a running edge back rower um, <laughs> is, is a real sign that like, of that sort of madness that we subsequently went on to see. Remember, he, we had that. We had a guy called Jelaine, Jelaine Feeney who unfortunately played first grade for a bit, and he was the halfback. And when he didn't make it, they just launched him back at centre one day, like yeah. a year later. They were no just reason. playing right yeah. centre. And yeah, like that madness is like, I was, we saw this, you go, oh, there were signs that that was like yeah. Nathan Brown's a bit. I just, yeah. I love the, like, I'm very keen on Mark Riddell as an edge back rower generally, but I'm also very keen on naming him at nine and Dean Young at 11 and then switching them for no reason. Like, yeah. That it's just the sort of thing that's going to rattle opposition. Poor old Desi must have been at sixes, like yeah, full exactly on sixes right. and yeah. sevens. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, there's an early 40-20 from the great Michael Monaghan. Um, absolutely bangs one into touch, and we get a look at Ben Hornby's very weird chin hair. Um, <laughs> did you get onto this? Yeah, I, I, I not as probably as closely. I do remember thinking he looked a bit uh, odd. Yeah, um, but maybe that's what it was. I did know he looked. I was like, oh, Ben Hornby looks a bit sick. <laughs> but yeah, well, he just. Know. This was the year that he got picked in for New South Wales as a fullback. Mm, he's a good yeah. player, Ben Hornby. Uh, yeah, he was good at because yeah. he was still he had a yard of pace in this era. Like he was, he was yeah. still he wasn't. 
Would you say the last fullback that played like, because there was at him, there was him and Brett Hodgson was similar at that time. And there was a few like ball playing fullbacks who weren't big, strong athletes and lightning. Would you say that like Lachlan Coote might be the last in that mold? Like a kicking, like mm. good goal kicker and and do like would goal kick if okay. he needed, would kick and play a lot that like literally possibly would be a halfback rather yeah, than like a five eight half at, at full yeah. just happens to be playing yeah. fullback. Yeah, you don't there aren't yeah. many of them you don't see many of them anymore. No. Clint Gustafson no, like is like, a little bit like that, but not in the same way. He's probably he's he might, clever. He's still more of an athlete. Like he does yeah. he's still more fit and athletic than them. Like that real like it, it's almost like you're talking about Matt Head. There was a fullback style like there was a style of fullback who wasn't mm. the best athlete on the field that like a lot of the fullbacks now, you could be like, you could put Caelan Ponger or Teddy on the wing and Turbo wing and say, like, these guys were like, you really couldn't do that. Like a lot no. of Coot and your Ben Hornbys and your Hodgson's, you'd have to play them at 5'8", a halfback. Or they'd be better at hooker than on the wing, for example. Like, yeah. This is a guy yeah, yeah, that's yeah. more where they're, you wouldn't do it, but their skill set was this crafty cleverness that, and not in their not in their brute power or their sidestep or or their actual athleticism. Yeah, they didn't have yards and yards of pace yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's probably fair. Yeah, and Ben Hornby, of course, subsequently did play halfback and win a grand final there, so, um, which I suppose bears that out. Um, also but, got picked over Jonathan Thurston for Australia by Ricky Stewart once, playing England. Yeah, that's hard to argue with. And I think that, I think yeah. that stands the test of time. Um, mm-hmm. The that, that 40-20 leads to the first try of the game at a very confusing moment for me. Um, this is a wonderful bit of play. It's quite mad. Um, they play the ball on the left-hand side of the field, 10 metres out. They go right to Solomon. Uh, Monaghan gives it to Solomon Hamono, who, while being dump-tackled, just hoiks it over his shoulder for, for no clear reason. It falls to Kylie Lulawai. Can I say Solomon Hamono passing to Kylie Lulawai is a real moment in the game. Um, yeah. He then gives it back to Monaghan, who quite early in the count just dink kicks across field straight onto the chest of a person who I have never heard of. Paul Stevenson, who scores out on the right-hand side, um, there he is one of two, now. He's one of two players in this game I have no memory of, and that's very rare mm. for this era. Like I sort of think for this early two thousands, I, I don't know about you, I was watching quite a lot of football. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I just I, and I was reading the big leak from big week from reserve grade under nineteen for reserve grade and first grade. I read every team sheet every week, and I don't yeah. remember him either. I've Is got no memory. Uh, the other one's Sam Harris, who I have no, no memory kidding. of. No, you're I don't remember. I'm really fond of Sam Harris. I no, was, I got nothing. I always thought Sam Harris went to the Tigers after they won the comp, but didn't get on the field much. The year after mm. they won the comp, the Tigers brought him in, and he. Uh, I was fond of him. I always thought he he was he had a really good year the year before this. I think it was um, as an edge back rower, and he was a really nice player. He ended up playing inside centre for the Waratahs. Yes, um, he, he didn't get much go here, but I liked it when I watched it. I was like, I was ashamed to, that I hadn't thought about Sam Harris <laughs> in a long time because he was a really quite a nice edge running back rower. He didn't play a lot, but he, no, he. he Played, he played 59 games for Manly, 03 to 05, and 05 for the Tigers in 06, but he played City Origin in 2004. Yeah, he, this, he was this season. Good, like he was, yeah, he, he was the year before this, <clears> I reckon it was. He had a he had a really good season on the edge for them. He was like a, he mm. had a nice, he was, well, he was that, you know, the build, like the kind of guy that plays inside centre in rugby, but yeah, back row here, like, yeah, what's the guy now, like a Nikorari, sort of like a bit of pace and movement, but runs hard lines, that sort of stuff. He's yeah, he played for the Waratahs and for the doomed Western Force. Paul Stevenson, yeah, Paul Stevenson's still only 37. Um, Is he? Yeah, 43 games for Manly, 04 to 06, 17 tries. 
And then twelve. Well, he scores more tries in this game than the Snake Beaver. Yeah, well, <laughs> same fact. amount as Blacklock. Like, just mm. saying, more than Scott Donald. If those trends continue, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> twelve games for Cronulla in 07 and 08. Uh, he ended up playing at Ipswich under Glenn Lazarus. Did you know Glenn Lazarus coached Ipswich? No, but I'm keen on it. I'm yes, keen me on too. It. I just complaining I, about portion sizes. Yeah, we can imagine. So, uh, and he subsequently became the CEO of the Tweed Head Seagulls, Paul Stevens. Did he? So there, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, you know, um, one of the other clubs, I think it might be, the, the, that's really just quite interesting because on a tangent, Chris yes. Flannery is the CEO of the Sunshine Coast Falcons, ah. the last I checked. I think it's, it's so it'd be, I'm really keen on the concept of like rugby league players, like from this era, like ending up running Q Cup clubs in the CEO role. I hope, I hope there's more yeah. of them that we find out about as the cemetery goes on. Is Hitman Flannery still walking around in that athletic cup that he had to wear in the grand final? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Remember he had the remember like he had the rib cage. Yeah, but remember he, remember he had the ruptured gonad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite That's a dangerous like, injury. You know, yeah. former five eight played five eight. Do you remember in Origin? I yes. With, with, I think I think with Berrigan at halfback. That's a real in between errors of Alan Langer and then the team that didn't lose for ten years. Yeah, like the bridge. Isn't I love it? that. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Paul Stevenson scores uh, and then scores again shortly after. In the 11th minute, he scores again after a spread from left to right and a cutout pass from the Beaver. There's no real reason for him to score here. He just gets the ball close to the line and they sort of just don't tackle him. It's a, it's very poor defence. And suddenly, and you're in that immediately, Williamson kicks both goals from out wide and it's 12-0. And you're in that Saints this era zone, aren't you, of... Oh, here we go. Like the, the, this same yeah. side would had all the ability in the world and could beat anyone, but they would lose dumb games to sides that were ordinary. And 12 yeah. nil after 10 minutes, the, the, and I don't know, like listeners, any listeners who have been to a Dragons game at Cogra will know that they turn quite viciously quite early if there's any hint that they're bottling it against a bad side. Um, and there's a real hint of this early on that the crowd and everybody is saying, oh dear, it's one of those days. Um, and Laurie Daly helpfully points out that if Manly played like this every week, they'd be in the eight. Yeah, uh, with a 13-minute sample size, yeah. Yeah, 12 um, minutes after 10 minutes. You could yeah. isolate any 10-minute period from any team for the season and suggest that if you extrapolated it, they'd be good, like any well, team. Especially if they but... scored 12 <laughs> unanswered points, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you're essentially like point a minute. If you could go at a point a minute over the full season, you'd be yeah. a big chance to be fairly high on the table. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. right. There's also mention that... Uh, that Ashton Sims, so this was the week, <clears throat> I don't know if you call it this, this was the week after the Clint Newton incident. But he played. He played. So the Clint Newton should have been dead. For people, well, for people who don't remember, and shame on you if you don't remember, Clint Newton elbowed Ashton Sims in the face in a game between the Knights and the Dragons at the, uh, the International Sports Centre opened by the Queen in 1973. And mm. the... Ashton Sims, according to the commentators in this game, was so badly injured that his teeth protruded through his chin. Mm. And yeah. then next week, and then he came back and played the next game. Yeah, um, that elbow was one of the most even. Like if you go back to the eighties and stuff, that was one of the most brutal high tackles ever. That's unbelievable. Um, I argued that he should have been allowed to stay on the ground because I was 
in early high school and was I just didn't think the send off was why I just thought sin bin like sufficient. Mm. Um, but I even even in the Newcastle crowd, I was really in the minority. Like a lot of people were telling me to shut up, like not yeah, because it was so bad. It was base violence. But it's good to see he played. You'd like to think that would stand up now. I wonder what, how he'd have gone if they had done the HIA test that they do today. Oh yeah, I mean, can yeah, you like, imagine? Like if you yeah. get if you get such a ferocious contact with your head. But it forces your teeth through your like through your skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't think the HIA rules allow you to come back the next week. I don't know if there's yeah. I, no. Anyway, they I, couldn't miss the finals. Like he was a young no. bench forward, and they couldn't miss the finals. There's no particular reason to risk his head. That's <laughs> no, that's the other thing is that there was yeah. no like it, it wasn't it wasn't Trent Barrett, you know. Um, no. No, and they didn't need to. They need. They don't need to win, and he's not particularly important. He's a young, up and coming forward off the uh-huh. bench, and very young in his career. When we talk Ashton Sims, I should note that I thought Ashton Sims was crap there, crap at Brisbane. But when he grew the stupid Thor hair at mm. um, the Cowboys, I became very fond of him and thought that he was a, had a, became a good player. And I think he's the best Sims. I think the other two suck and <laughs> have never done anything. And I yeah. don't know why anyone reckons they're any good. And I, like, Ashton came really, really good. Also a Wolfpack <laughs> player in the end, but he came really good. At the Cowboys, he became really aggressive, a really good player, yeah. uh, and hats off to him. Best Sims. No, I'm backing that. No, I'm I'm on board with all. I endorse all of that. Um, just another thing from this period of the game because there's 20 minutes. The funny thing about this is it's 36 34, but there is a 20 minute period where nobody scores. Yeah, it's good that between the 11th and the 32nd minute, um, Andrew Walker comes on after 18 minutes. Now I've got a confession for you, Gazzy. Um, when I when the team sheets came up on the screen and it said six Walker on the bench, mm. I assumed it was Ben. I was thinking Ben. And yeah. I've got to tell you, when Andrew Walker ran on um, to take over from Luke Williamson at 5'8", I started seeing sounds. I was absolutely yeah. thrilled. It was just like, what a bonus. And a oh. game that we knew was going to give us a lot and was had already given us quite a lot. To suddenly have Andrew Walker, former Brumby and Wallaby great, Andrew Walker, run on for some reason, yeah. in this 2004 rugby league game, um, was just thrilling. I, 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 yeah, I'm just I'm he, very he, grateful he that is that happened. A, he, he is a god of the game. Um, he, I sent you a quote last night I found from Phil Gould. Like, Phil Gould, when, he goes, one of my favourite players ever. It's a big call. Phil Gould, like, had been like winning comps in the eighties with the Dogs, and you know, coached and everyone, Panthers and coached, coached New coached South the Wales, Brad yeah. Fittler, the Roosters, yeah, New South Wales, all those wins. Coached Andrew Johns, Brad Fittler, all the rest. Of it. One of my favourite players ever is Andrew Walker. He could do absolutely anything on the rugby league field except stick to any structure. <laughs> I mm. just loved it because that—that's yeah. why he was so good to watch on the field. Well, he was, yeah, he's so- wonderful. He, he's also part of one of my favourite clubs in that he played a test match but never got picked for State of Origin. I love yes. players like that. The Shannon um, Boyd Clinton's group. Joel Clinton's my poster. Shannon Boyd, that's a good one. Joel Clinton's my poster boy. Yep. Uh, I always think of Joel Clinton first just because I was very – it was, again, it was just a peak time for me in the game when he – because I remember he got picked and it wasn't like – I think Walker – got a test, you know, like you can see a scenario where someone like Walker, Mrs. Origin guys got hurt with the Super League players out and he got in. But Joel Clinton was one of those full-on wonderful, like Gus Bonings. Like he'd made the Australian team that mm. played before the Origin series just before it. So there's an Origin series after the test. And Gus is just like, I disagree with what Australia's done. And I don't like that bloke. Like, yeah, so Gus, it's not, it's Gus not and, picking yeah, it. Yeah, Bozo used to do that as well. Like they're in, like they just both do odd stuff and not 
collaborate because they just get really firm opinions. <laughs> These days, like most guys would just be sort of cowed into doing it. Like a Laurie yeah. Daly, when he was coaching, would go, oh, he played for Australia like three weeks ago. He's got to be in my team. Yeah, and you and can't... Gus would just go, no, shit. Like, I don't rate him. I'm not picking him. And everyone see... was outraged about Joel Clinton, like really outraged about it. You get quite a lot of guys. It happens quite a lot now from people that get sort of like springboarded into the Australian side off being in part of the grand final team. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. by... Or a deep finals run, yeah. Yeah, and then by... The, and so they play those post-season like post season meaningless tests. And then by State of Origin next year, everyone's realised that they're not any good. And so they don't yeah. get picked, you know, they don't actually get picked for New South yeah. Wales. And that's, yeah. A lot, it's funny because Australia's so good. They often take players because they think about it less seriously. And when you look at the ones that didn't get picked for Origin, a lot of the time they're not a bad shout. Like if you go, because you have to win two of the three games and you're playing a really equal opposition, you get yeah. stuff like Gus not picking Joel Clinton, who was subsequently at the Broncos, then on the bench, then not in the competition within a few years, yeah. stands up, as does Shannon Boyd. Like people yeah, yeah. going, you've got to pick Shannon Boyd for New South Wales. People going, well, we've really got to win this and it's really important. Whereas for Australia, they're going to win anyway. Again, he's now not being picked for the Titans. Like it's sort of, like all that sort of does, a lot of the time, it's the origin coaches that are right, not the test coaches. You're right. They're springboarded mm. off being in a good team. Dave Williams played origin, but he was one that got that. They won the grand final, and he just got launched into rep teams for no no real reason. Yeah. And within three or four years, everyone realized it was crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. It's um, you, you get yeah, you get a bit of this. So we should try and put together a list at some point of we might put the call yeah. out people who played for Australia, but not not New South Wales or Queensland. Um, there won't be many know, for Queensland because like they're not the amount of depth. There won't be many there. No. There might be the odd one. There wouldn't be many. No, I wouldn't have thought. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Now, um, there's a 20 minute gap where nothing happens, um, and you wouldn't have had any guide at 12 nil after 31 minutes that this was going to end up 36 um, 34. And then Sean Timmons scores in the 32nd minute. Uh, it's a nice ball from Trent Barrett. I must say, holds the ball up. Swings it out to Timmons, who has a man completely unmarked, and decides to take the I've tackle and score himself. Anyway. Trent Barrett, yeah. Well, it was yeah. it was quite. I did have a chuckle when I at half time when they announced that he's gone with a quad, because I yeah. one of my one of my reservations about this about watching yeah. this was that in this yeah. big second half recovery, it'd be some big Trent Barrett frenzy, and then to find yeah. out that he doesn't play in the second half when they call the yeah. tries happen was kind of like oh well this will make life a little bit easier for me. I just well, want to I want to clarify yeah. my position on Trent Barrett. Uh, I don't, yeah, here we go. Yeah. No, no, I just want to clarify. I've never said he's no good. Yeah, I think I just think that he wasn't that good. That he wasn't yeah. like that. He that he he had a lot of good things about him undeniably, mm-hmm. but he I think he got picked in a lot of sides based on reputation and what he looked like more than yeah. what he actually he did. Wrong. And yeah. yeah, but anyway, you got, you got a bad opinion. He was a great player. He was good. He was good. No, no moves, denying. When, oh, when he moves, the way he, he was very good. I know they didn't win a club. He was very good at rep level. You can say he got picked. Whatever reason he got picked, he, they won a lot of games when he was playing for the Blues. At five. He was a very good. He um, was a very good match for Andrew Johns as a five yeah. eight. It was a beautiful yeah. like. Um, he was. He was. I, I just like if you're building one far out. Oh, he's perfect like, physically and all that. Yeah. yeah. When he takes off, like, what I like was just that he used to have this way of either giving really early to Gaznier and Cooper. Like, he had this really lovely way of feeding his centres or he'd go off his foot. And when he ran, it just looked so good when he ran the ball. Like, oh, there's a couple in this game. But, no, I must have hurt you. At least that narrows us down to only debating Matt Cooper later. But um, Yeah, well, well I'm, off, sure, but... I'm sure we'll get sure. to that. 
Yeah, Timmons, right? Just as a very brief aside, one of the real last genuine footballers, wouldn't he? Like guys who could play centre or lock forward. Like, well, this was the year. Origin. There's not a lot of them, is there? Like this, I think, was the year that he kicked the field goal to win the Origin game um, at five eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a. It's a. um, There's not many guys left like that now that are playing. You, you know, like you might say, it's just starting to come back. You might have a guy like Connor Watson who might fill in at fullback or the centres if we were buggered now and can play lock. But he's sort of pseudo playing lock. Like guys genuinely playing, you know, Timmons would have had a year where he played a lot of lock, a year where he played some edge, a, a lot of years in the centres, and he, you know, played five eight when needed. There's, there's without being quick or, or fast or that big, like just guys that were for some reason good. Like there's not really what you could put your hand on it, but mm. Timmons just had a it's good just career. Just do like, things, turn up in do, the right places. Things. Yeah, wherever he was put. Like Greg Florimo is probably one that he reminds me of. Like there's nothing much when you look at them to explain why they had a good career and were good players, but they just were. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's but they're just clever and good when you put them in a position and they'd somehow just be all right, you know, like whatever. Yeah, he's just done the job there for us. No, no dramas. We'll put him there and it's fine, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. He he did. He had a good career and played a lot of rep. And without, yeah. as you say, without ever kind of like you never kind of could work no. out what he brought to the side. But he he was always no. he always did something. Um, yeah. Now, the last four minutes of the second half, um, uh, first half. Mm. Uh, sorry, first half are complete. Well, it's also true of the second half. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> jump on the gun a little bit there. Yeah. Um, four minutes to half time. Steve Menzies scores his 147th first grade try, breaking the great Frank Frank Burge, Gleb Fruiter's record for tries by a forward. That's a lovely little grubber from Michael Monaghan, another little classy thing he does in this game. Mm -hmm. Menzies in the right place, just, you know, um, chases honestly, gets himself into the right position and gets the ball down. Um, The Dragons, of course, in classic style, had turned it over on the set after scoring. Uh, Walker kicks the goal to make it 18-4. And then with a minute left, well, no, with 45 seconds left in the half, the Dragons are coming off their own line, playing out the first half, and on last tackle, they spread it to Trent Barrett, who decides to dummy and go about 30 out from his own line. And he breaks free. Beautifully. and, And gallops gloriously over the halfway line. And up to the 30. And he comes to the defense and he turns the ball inside to Brent Kite, of all people, who, in, you know, how he manages to be there, I've no idea. But he gets the ball. Then he turns it inside to Timmons. And at this moment, it looks like the Dragons are going to score a miracle try to what end a great the half. Drive. Like a cracker. Yeah. The ball's just yeah. going, like it's going sideways, back inside, back inside. Timmons hoiks it sideways out to Carlaw, who's out on the wing. And the ball bounces. Carlaw fumbles it. And it becomes clear that the Dragons are not going to score. But it's not over, comrades and friends, because Michael Monaghan picks it up and he looks around and for some reason, with time almost up on the clock in the first half, with them leading 16-4, he says, no, we'll have a nibble at this. So he picks it up and gives it to Brett Stewart, who's for some reason out on the wing. He breaks off down the wing, looks inside and sees the fastest man in rugby league, asterisk after Darren Albert, Scott Donald, mm. who tears away from two chases, parts them like Sydney heads, and charges away to score under the post, and it's 22-4 at half time. The, oh. From the Dragons looking like scoring to bring, to bring the gap back to six, they concede to kick the gap out to, to 18. Oh, baby. There's just so it's much about this. There's so much about this. 
the the first thing like was doing, the, the Trent Barrett's break is magnificent, and you, yeah, even you have to say it was okay in your yes. your bitter and twisted way. Like he just goes through and sets it, and and it, like, there's a moment here that I need to make you aware of. I just think I hope you heard it because it's fantastic commentary. So Barrett goes through, he puts the foot down, goes through, and then what happens is he's 20 meters or so away from the fullback, having run 30 meters, and what he starts to do is do that sort of slow down where they're looking for where the support is. So he's mm. looking either side, going right. I'm, I need to just compose myself so I can set someone up. And anyway, Laurie Daly starts breaking in over over the main commentator, and he goes, "He's looking for Blacklock. He's looking for Blacklock." And then it goes, "He's found Brent Kite." And I just like totally <laughs> lost my head. <laughs> it's just beautiful commentary. They go, "He's through." But Barrett's through. He's looking for Blacklock. He's found Brent Kite, and he's yeah. just going, "Jeez, yeah." Talk about losing a penny and finding a dollar like far out. <laughs> In the clear, and you're looking for Blacklock, but don't worry, I found Brent Kite. I found Brent Kite just chugging up the middle of the park. I, yeah, yeah, the thing yeah, to yeah. know about all of that, and I only found this out after watching the game, is that Laurie Daly had given Nathan Brown had got Laurie Daly in midweek to give the Dragons a pep talk about, yeah, before yeah, this game. Well, yeah, and it's, you've got to say at 22 four at half time, it's really paying dividends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's it's. So off the back of that, the next thing is just that it's, it just keeps looking beautiful. The dragons are hot potatoing, and you're like, this is great. And when it hits the deck, you know, because this is one of the great things about games like this is because they're not famous. You don't remember the famous parts. Like when mm. we watch the grand final, you're looking for Sattler's tackle, you know, yeah. like Penrith's grand final. You, you know Sattler's tackle's coming, but I didn't know this was coming. Like I remember there was no, a great no, comeback, But anyway, and, and you get it and you go, so even now you're going, oh, you know, like that was cool. Like, it's going to be half time. And all of a sudden, Monaghan picks it up and finds Stewart. And you're like, oh, fuck, that's a bit unlucky for St. George that he's found Stewart in Broken Blood. And he's sprinting and you go, oh, it's on here. And then you go, ah, oh, no, they've got him. Like they've got Stewart. Don't worry, yeah. they've got him. And, you know, like, thank God they had a bit of cover. And then, boom, inside pass. And you've gone, oh, shit, he's hit Scott Donald. And you're like, oh, they're in a bit of trouble. This is going to be phenomenal. And I go, ah, oh, don't get too excited because Ben Hornby's got him covered for yeah, one yeah, yeah. He's so no, no, close he's, to him. There's yeah. one on either side and Ben Hornby can nearly reach out and touch him. And yeah. he sort of he was like, oh, you'll get him. You can't get away from him here. No way. And, you know, the only way he could get away from him was to run infield and there was a player there. So that wasn't really you know, a chance. And then he just hits the accelerator like nothing you've seen and and makes Ben Hornby look like it's me chasing him, like just dead set. Like it's it's just Mm. like can't move. And you go, oh, no, he's gone. And I've just gone, oh, no. And then my note just says, fuck me, fuck. Because it's just the best try I've ever seen. Like I've gone, fucking hell, I can't cope with this. I'm not going to sleep tonight. Like it's the best. Like St. George make a 50 to 60 metre break down the field and the poor bastard somehow end up having the ball on the deck and have it go only to to Brett Stewart and Scott Donald. Yeah. Yeah, there's about five blokes in the league who could have turned that into a try and two of them happened to get the ball. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, oh, geez, there's a break in play here and Brett Stewart has it. Oh, let's sit down. We've covered him. We've got out of this. It's okay. Oh, bugger it. He's hit Scott Donald. It's very unlucky. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> is. And, and very and, funny and very tragic comic. George did was beautiful. Like the whole yeah. play is, is artful play by St. George that for no reason goes against them. And it, it, it's just, it, it's one of those things that just happens to calamity. There's teams that have a habit of this. And, yeah. and you and I. And they in this era, Russell. this was their, this, when yeah. St. George. St. George losing to a bad side would have stuff like this happen to them. 
Yeah, 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 exactly right. And that's sort of what happens um, a bit in the second half. And it happened as Knights fans. We had a long period of this when we were down the bottom and stuff. They'd make a good play and try something on. And the last pass would hit someone. And all of a sudden, the other team would be flying in the other way. It's it's something that happens to calamitously bad teams. Or teams just get a habit of having it happen to them for some reason. And it was in their DNA at this time. And it's um, we'll be putting it up on the page because it's one of the best rugby league tries in terms of complete lunacy and good yeah. football mixed in. Yeah, you it's, know. Just, it's just helter-skelter madness. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, like, so Walker kicks the goal 24-4. Um, at this point, at halftime, they're 24-4 behind. They've just had this happen, which is a calamity. And uh, when they come back from the break, it becomes apparent that Trent Barrett has injured his quad and won't be back. And it appears that he injured his quad in this play because he didn't look too injured when he broke through from 30 out. So there's a real sense that in, in that play, in breaking away to set up a manly try, he's also injured himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so suddenly the, the, the poor old Dragons have got no captain or 5'8". They've got Matt Head running the attack. Uh, and they come out for the second half 20 points behind. Now, just before we get on to the flurry of tries that happen in the second half, I would like to take a moment to focus on Shane Dunley. Yeah. Uh, who repeatedly instigates things in this game and causes a number of near blow-ups. Uh, and it reminded me of the thing that I always think of when I think of Shane Dunley, which is reflux. <laughs> Do you remember this? Vaguely. Now, just let me go to the Sydney Morning Herald from May 25, 2005. Shane Dunley last night became the first top-grade player in 12 years to be suspended for spitting. The Manly Hooker chose to fight a, fi- a Grade 5 contrary conduct charge arising from last night's uh, Friday night's loss to the Eels, but was found guilty of deliberately spitting at Parramatta's PJ Marsh by the NRL Judiciary Panel of former players Bob Lidner, Jeff Hardy and Mark Coyne. That's the charge, panel. isn't it? Brains Trust. The charge was reduced to Grade 4 and Dunley will miss four matches. Now... What was uh, the basis of reducing the spitting charge? You either did or you didn't. I'll come to that. Seagulls Executive Director Paul Cummings said the Eagles stood by Dunley's claims of innocence. We came here fully supportive of Shane and we leave fully supportive of him. The medical evidence proved that Shane has a condition. I don't believe that any players out there believe that Shane Dunley is an intentional spitter. Uh, Now, we'll get to the defence. Dunley contended that he did not intend to spit at Marsh and that a medical condition known as reflux which causes excess saliva and bile to form in the mouth, meant he had to spit more often than an average player. It is a condition Dunley took daily medication for. So is he suggesting that by law of averages, because he mm. spits, say, three times more than the average, the odds of unintentionally landing it on PJ Marsh had gone up? So I think That's the defence... Really is it good? I, you know... It's very good. It's obviously it's up there with temporary amnesia as the greatest defence in the history of the mm. game. Um, can I can I put to you that if I was you know uh, you know I'm legally qualified. If I was asked to run the defence, mm. I would have been more just running the defence as just basically looking you know Simpson style and going. Can everyone here put your hand up if you haven't thought of spitting at PJ Marsh? Like you know, like is anyone here, like is anyone here not thought about spitting at PJ Marsh and just go on just basis of being justified? These all you know he wasn't a bad player, but he's just a bit of a tool. Well, but this was this is where the defence sort of came unstuck. Um, Prosecutor John Murphy argued it was one of several actions, including a forearm to Marsh's head and picking him up and dropping him to the ground, designed to intimidate Marsh. Yeah. It's a real sense that, like the spitting, you you might get away with the reflux 
defence in a vacuum, but when you've also elbowed the bloke in the head and, like, spear-tackled him, mm. there's a real sense that maybe there were some other factors at play? Well, maybe, but if you had a show, in, again, if, I, if I'm defending him, I would have started showing evidence from other games showing that he was doing most of that to most people he mm. tackled. <laughs> this game, he's done, he's done that to at least four people. Like, <laughs> I don't think it was out of character or targeting. He seemed to tackle by forearming people and, and sort of spearing them and that sort of thing. Him and Anthony Watmau in, in both in the same tackles was a good scene. There was a few of those. Yeah. Was, young Watmau was very, fire, very, very fiery and angry at this point early in his mm. career. And Dunley was just one of those little blokes who was looking to start something. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Start something for the other bigger blokes to actually do. Um, just a couple of other points from this article uh, from the same week. Knights prop Josh Perry took the early guilty play for a grade two reckless high tackle and will miss five games. Um, and Canberra's Adam Mogg will miss two weeks after pleading guilty to a grade one dangerous throw. Um, I just, that's not relevant to this game. I just thought that it, you would like to hear those names. Um, a couple of great players out for the next few weeks. Like, well, there's not much of a competition late in the year when you've now got Perry Mogg and... Um, and uh, who was the other one? Oh, Shane and Dunley. Dunley. Yeah, I missing now. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'd love to hear about Adam Mogg. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah, I thought you'd just like Mogg. to hear the name Adam Mogg. Um, yeah. <clears throat> now, the Dragons come out after halftime. They actually score first. It's a very late offload. I love a late offload. It's very dangerous uh, from Lance Thompson, uh, who had four tackles on him and slips a ball out at the very last second, 10 out from the line to Lincoln Withers, who slides across to score. Matthew Head kicks the goal to go 24-10. Uh, and you think, well, maybe the Dragons' recovery is on. Not nah, wrong. Because the next try, three minutes later, is from Brett Stewart. Uh, and it is bizarre. It's your man, Sam Harris, who is shoulder-charged by Ashton Sims, falls to the ground, loses the ball, and kind of just clutches it backwards, according to the video ref. Stewart picks it up and runs through and scores. Everybody stops. It's one of those ones where, yeah. the because it's so obviously a knock-on at first look, Everybody just stops and Brett Stewart's going at full speed, cuts, slices through and scores. Um, and after a few... Beautiful mover, wasn't he? Yeah. So this, you said earlier that this was his first year in first grade. Now, keeping in mind how Manly were going, they were coming 13th out of 15. 13 tries in 16 games for Brett Stewart in that side. Beautiful player. Pretty yeah. good going. Um, oh, yeah. It's a very odd try, but Walker kicks the goal and it's 30 points to 10. And at that point, after 50 minutes, some Saints fans start leaving. Mm-hmm. And then two minutes later, another. so there are, that's a whacky try, the first one, because it's one of those, like, mm-hmm. a, nobody thought it was one. This is even wackier. Oh, yeah. Michael Monaghan running it on last from about 40 out, turns it inside to Stevenson. Stevenson throws a pass too low for Williamson. And because he can't catches it, catch it, he sockers it ahead. It takes a deflection. And Nick Youngquest, male model, just slips over for no clear reason. It is wet, in fairness. Uh, and Williamson picks it up and scores. Yeah, there's two. There's, there's basically, in, by the end of that, there's two kicks and a deflection. The first yeah. kick hits Youngquest and he toes it again, Williamson. So you've basically yeah. got a situation where Williamson is double kicked um, and it's hit left. For himself. And yeah. he scored. I was off my feet when that happened. I, I watched this game at home last night, and uh, my my partner, long suffering partner Sarah, has come out after going. What was with that game? You kept madly cackling, like it was three or four times that game. You started madly cackling really loudly, and um, yeah, this was one of them. <laughs> yeah, like once it, once he kicked it the second time, and I realised he was going to score. There was just manacle witch cackling coming because it's just funny. like yeah. Because by this point, like the dragons have, you think about the tries they've let in, mm. the the really wacky. Um, one on the stroke of half time where they make a break and somehow concede. Yeah. 
then they have a try where a guy drops the ball and at least, like a manly player drops the ball and they end up scoring off it for no reason. Then they've got yeah. Luke Williamson off a bad pass, double kicking off legs to score and like a Dragons player falling over. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was going to say, if you were going to try and explain the comeback, and you're best not to, but if you were going to try and explain logically why this happens or how this could happen, the explanation you would give is that Manly's 18 last points were off a giant Dragons line break, like a good piece of play Dragons line break, yeah. them 50 metres down the field that is impossible to defend. Like There's nothing yeah. they could do about it. The second one is like Sam Harris has been clobbered, like belted off the ball. And it was, it was a try. Like, I had a look in the replay. I agree, it went backwards. But he's been hammered in the tackle, spills his lollies, but before it hits anyone else, it hits his head and goes back rather than going forward. So, like, you've clobbered a guy in defence, the ball's bounced backwards, and somehow when you're stopping thinking it's a knock-on, it's also landed with Brett Stewart in a bit of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third time, they've run it on last, thrown it into the ground, and Luke Williamson's double-kicked, in between which it's hit one of your players in the leg. So if you were trying to come up with why this happened, your reasoning would have to be that Manly's last 18 points would very little to do with mainly playing any good. Um, and things that will never basically... happen again, right? Like all of them are things that happen no. once every 10 years. Well, yeah, yeah, you're writing off after the first one. You're hoping the next two sort of were 10 years away. So they were yeah. unlucky St. George in that way. But yeah, that, that's right. And I think that's what I, why one of the reasons so I'm Laurie Daly, one of the greatest players of all time, terrible commentator. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's really funny about him is um, his brilliant call that he makes on two occasions after this, where he goes, well, you know, you, you can look at it as Manly being great or the Dragons being poor. And I think it's Manly being great, which is just like <laughs> the three tries. It's like off, like absolutely yeah. random events that could never be replicated. And he's like insistent on it. So it's great Manly play. But the key thing at this time is that this is when we get the key, the head commentator come in with, they'll lose here today. They've got a bad record against Manly. They lost last time. They'll lose here today. And then they start to note, we have never seen so many people leave the ground. At this point, yeah. there are cues. Like, well, the and reason you leave early 50, is to like, avoid cues. To yeah. avoid cues. And there is actual, you're not avoiding cues. There are cues trying to get out. Yeah, yeah. No, there's thousands, like there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people leaving, probably thousands of people leave the ground. And Warren Smith, the the lead commentator, is talking about 50. Like he's saying Manly are chasing 50 here. That's the mood. It's not, it's not, there's no, there's no feeling of a comeback. It's like how many are Melbourne, how many are Manly going to put on? How damaging is this going to be for the, for the Dragons? Um, And and, and you're right. Laurie Daly says, I've never seen so many people leave a ground this early in a game. Um, And, then, with 25 minutes to go, something weird happens again. Um, nothing really on. Dragon's on the manly line, but not doing anything. Mark Riddell jumps out of dummy half. And I've never seen a kick like this before or since. No. No. Um, it's a sideways chip kick from five metres out, which is caught on the try line mm. by Nathan Blacklock, who for some reason is at centre rather than on the wing. Because he thought it was on it's Nathan Blackwell. Well, it, it is. It, it's the best way to describe the kick. It's not the same because it's so short and odd, but it's come into vogue now to instead of kicking, there was a real phase where you used to kick high to your Israel Folau type wingers. You used to chip yeah. bomb to the winger. And then it came in that Kronk and these guys started flat kicking so that the centre is coming back at the grain. So if you flat kick, your guy's powering onto it and getting there at pace and can use his run up and the guy on the try line's flat. Mm. It was like that, but over no distance. Like he could have underarm passed it the wrong, like his back bad way to him he was so close and instead he like flat dink kicks it and 
because but it goes fight, it goes he just runs onto the right spot and goes if you give it to me I'm going to score doesn't he like he mm. just sort of goes there's a bit of space here I'll get here and if you're good enough to do something I'm going to score and Riddell oddly is good enough to do it but it, it's, yeah it's, it's insane but this kick goes ten meters sideways and five meters yeah. forward like it's a and yeah. never more than a cup never more than kind of two meters off the ground. It's bizarre. No, it's a, no, it's a, it's a, it, it would have in AFL. You wouldn't have been able to claim the mark. It didn't go. No, not enough. no, not even ten meters. Five meters no, sideways and five no, meters uh, forward. It, yeah, it, yeah. You're calling like, AFL. It's play on. You didn't kick it far yeah. enough to claim the mark. Like it's right. Yeah. That, that's that close. You wouldn't kick it to someone. It's the sort of distance you, you would pass it. In, yeah, yeah. In AFL. Um, but that's the style kick. Is that flat guy coming back against the grain, but over no distance. It's very skillful because mm. it's, it's like assuming you meant it. Yeah. It takes an incredible amount of touch to kick to someone that accurately, that close at the right pace. The, the pace, yeah, yeah. I think, because you've got to kick it. If you kick it soft, it won't get there. But if you kick it hard, he's not going to be able to catch it. Like, it's <laughs> no. at that distance. It, it, it's wonderful. It's very odd. But, yeah, like Nathan Blacklock just in the right place at the right time. And, for and the, that's the, the 40th time, yeah. And that's the first Blacklock moment in the game. Um, there will be more. Uh, wasn't it good to see Riddell kicking goals with the arm up? Isn't it, you know? Yeah. It's Always. one of those things yeah. that requires a lot of context. Um, the crowd, like sort of ten thousand people, yeah. all raising yeah. the raising the arm. Um, in well, sort of... there's been yeah, it's happened in other contexts, but it, yeah, it does take some explaining as to why it was happening at Cogger Oval. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With Mark Riddell lining <laughs> yes. up goals, he also just yeah. horribly shanks like several, including this one. Um, yeah, and that means it is thirty-four fourteen. Then in the 60th minute, this is a real contender for moment of the match for me, and I don't know if you got onto this. Um, Solomon Amono grapple tackles one of the Dragons' props and, like, wrenches him back over himself uh, and is penalised by referee Tony Archer. Archer calls him out, and Amono says, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong, and attempts to demonstrate what he's done on the referee. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And he says, don't touch me. <laughs> don't, don't touch me. He gets like he puts his arm up to try and grapple Tony Archer as it like <laughs> for for, de- for demonstration purposes. Yeah, I was... no thanks. I am rescinding the penalty if Solomon Amano tries to like yeah, yeah. any form of wrestle on me. Yeah. Thrilling. Just thrilling. Um and a couple of minutes later, as a result of that penalty, the dragons go up there again, and this time it's just another weird try. Matthew Head grubbers it. It comes off two sets of manly legs. And who is there in the middle of the park for no reason, playing on the right wing, turns up to put the ball down a yard in from the dead ball line, two metres to the right of the posts. Nathan Blacklock, he gets the ball. He starts that run. I counted. I went back and watched it. There are five players outside him. He's the winger. When he run that play, there are five players outside him. He is running in line, basically, with the right hand upright off the kicker to score a try. Why? He's just so good. He just knew where to be, what to do. But it's he, unbelievable. But what he does here, and if you watch him in the last 20 minutes of this game, what he does is he he deliberately he puts himself in the middle of the park time after time. He keeps, for some reason, whether he thought there was space there or he thought that was where the value was, he just keeps lobbing up in the middle of the park. There's a couple of times where it happened where these kicks go in and he's there and it doesn't quite bounce his way. Like, yeah. He decides that well, they're going backwards at 1,000 miles an hour. He's going to involve himself. Keep in mind, he'd been playing reserve grade. Like he, he was picked in this game because of injuries, and and he, he just just he, he, it's very rare to see a winger 
get have so much of an influence on the game because he comes in looking for the ball and looking to do something and does something time and time again in this game. It'll almost probably never happen again because of the way the game's coached. The last time anyone did this was when they used to pick Jared Hayne on the wing for New South Wales. Yeah. Um, before he went away uh, to, to the NFL and stuff. And he had a couple of series where it was like, how has he possibly been that dominant from the wing? Because they used to let him go after the ball. They let Tom Trevojevic do it from centre a bit now when he gets picked. But nowadays, coaches would never, you would never have Nathan Blacklock. You almost wouldn't make the NRL because they'd be like, what are you doing under the post? Go back to your wing, stay in your box. Yeah, yeah. And he'd have, scored, he'd have lost half his tries just standing on the wing scoring good ones because he's talented, but he wouldn't have scored half his tries if he played the way they want you to play now, which is to stick in your lane. Yeah, and it just wouldn't happen. Like the last person who was allowed to do it regularly was Hayne for New South Wales mm. filling in, and and that was it's not that creative because they took a fullback into State of Origin and were like, we want you to do fullback things, you know, like to actually let a proper winger in club forty say you're our winger, but yeah, you can go do if you see things go and do them. It doesn't happen mm. anymore. It'd be very very unlikely we'll see a player like this ever again. Um, you know, I mean they're rare anyway, but you won't see this style. They don't make it. Uh, Bevan French is a good example. Bevan French came through and scored a lot of tries in his first season of first grade in this wispy sort of way of finding where he was, but he didn't, they ran him out of the competition because he was making two or three hit ups and not doing, you know, they just decided yeah. that there was a, met- a metric he should be filling was this many runs, this many, this and that. And they weren't interested in roaming around making things happen. So they sort of ran mm. him out and that, that style of player, I just don't think we'll see it again. Being wingers no. scoring under the post and over here and that they won't let people do it. No, that's probably right. And he, yeah, he just, he just turns up in places he has no business being and the ball comes to him. Um, and he did it his whole career. He, he scored a lot of tries all over the field. Um, that is, that goal is converted by Riddell. Suddenly 34 20 with 18 minutes to go. They need three clear scores still, but they've got 18 minutes to score three times. Then 64th minute, the next set. They get up there, head throws a lovely ball to put Cray through. A couple of plays later, Timmons gets it inside to Thompson, turns it inside to Hornby. Hornby, through pretty paper-thin defence, goes through to score. 34-24, Riddell goal, 34-26. Suddenly, eight points behind with 14 minutes to go. And suddenly, like that sequence, it it all of a sudden looks very doable. Um, Nathan Brown just starts getting on the bench and getting really animated. Does that sense mm. like he's encapsulating the mood? Like he goes from coaching to suddenly down on the bench with his big red face and like making all these hand gestures and this yeah. like this fiery like we're on like just you know it goes from you lose your head a bit like the, you do it in yeah. hands and all of a sudden you're just riding it. The coaches yeah. come down, he's whooping everything, pointing, demonstrating, and you're just going like they all think it's on. They they really yeah, think this I on. think this is on. Yeah. And then straight away off the next set, this is astonishing. This bit of play from. Blacklock, it's a Matthew. It's a Matthew head chip kick that is touched in flight, and Blacklock's there in the middle of the park, gets it, looks up, bursts through a couple of tackles, and with six to go, I don't know if he heard the call or not, but I dare say it wouldn't have mattered. With a full six tackles, he breaks into open space, comes to a defender, and just boots it downfield to the left hand side of the field where Matt Cooper streaks down and gets it just inside the dead ball line and scores. And they have scored three tries in four, five minutes. And it's 34-30. The kick is unbelievable. He gets it from – he's about 30 out. And he's 30 out under the post. 
and kicks it. And Matt Cooper scores 10 in from the sideline. He kicks it into the in goal from 30 out at just... the flight and just boots it into space, 30 metres downfield, lands it in the in goal. And Matt Cooper, with the great Matt Cooper, wins the race. And it's just unbelievable. Like, uh, totally unbelievable. He also, like, he bumps off, he bumps off Watmo on the run. Like to, before he, he puts the kick uh, in, it just—it was unbelievable. Like, yeah, I, I was, I was on my feet. The moments that I guys just, have, you know, yeah. like they say, you know, they say like the old boxers are like the old champions always have one good fight left in them. So this is like Nathan Blacklock. He'd been in reserve grade. He was about done. He's got one more year left in the Super League after this, and he's just shown up to Cogra at the end of the season and just like won the game himself out of yeah. his backside from being yeah. places that he had no business being and doing, and just it's still great. You know, Stacey Jones had one when he came back to the NRL and had this great day where he won him a game. And you go like, there's, there's something special about it. With the aging player who's been that fantastic, and they just one more time. You know, like yeah. one more to come back and do it in front of the home. Can you imagine if you went for it? Oh yeah, you, you, oh, you, you know you, he's you going. Just... You know he's finished. And Nathan yeah. Blacklock's turned it on one more time for you at, at yeah. Niagara like this. You know, um, it's just unbelievable. And the momentum, so it the crowd to this, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But the crowd, like the momentum at this point, they've scored three tries. They've scored four in 10 minutes. They've scored three in yeah. six, five minutes. Yeah. Um, the crowd are going absolutely berserk. Um, there's, there would have been people in the car leaving the ground with the radio on, trying to turn around, trying to get back to the stadium. Um, and, and Laurie Daly, this is one of the best pieces of commentary I've ever heard. The, 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 he says, there's a long way to go. That I'm not prepared to call the Dragons home yet. <laughs> they're behind. Yeah. <laughs> 30 yeah. Points. They're, they're losing. He's got um, an, he, he has a couple of absolute rip snorters in the run home because he yeah. has an absolute belter to come with six minutes left. So at six minutes, so after that one, so he, he, he lobs that out. Nothing much happens. It's oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, I yeah, 34-30, and the Eagles have the ball, um, and he, he goes, a try here to Manly will wrap it up. To thirty with six minutes to go, like which is just wonderful chat. Like I try here, like I love stupid commentary. It's, yeah, yeah. No, like, no win it here. If they score, if they go ten in front with five to go, they should win. Um, yeah, yeah. It, not prepared to call it for the Dragons at thirty four thirty behind. behind. Yeah. He also keeps saying there's there's lot there's still a long way to go, as if the problem facing the Dragons is too much time. I know, like it's really odd. Like they're the ones coming back. He goes, "Oh, still a long way to go." And you're he like, says yeah, it quite the a lot through the second half from behind. They're the yeah. ones that keep scoring the tries, though. That's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's funny. Yeah, now, he's a terrible uh, commentator. Yeah, he was always very funny. Yeah, mm. um, he once one of his best ever. He once said, "You know, saving a good saving a try, it's almost as good as saving one." <laughs> good shot. Yeah. Um, and and so it's thirty four thirty with twelve to go, and you, and you do think, well, they should get them now. Um, and the defence, they're up in defence, and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you cut the, the the fox cut to the manly coach's box. Now, how's the how's the absolute brains trust in the manly coach's box in two thousand and four? Head coach Desi. Now, at different points, I spotted Jeff Tuvey, Cliffy, and Peter Zorba Peters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a good to see Zorba. Mainly royalty. You're sort of yeah. Bob Fulton away from the set there, aren't you? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought I saw David Fairley possibly up there as well. I don't know if you got onto that. Um, I didn't. But, uh, yeah, but, but I'm not sure if it was him. But, um, fans, yeah. but yeah, Peter Peters, Cliffy and Des, um, it's getting there. Like that's a lot of – there's a lot of manly history there. And, geez, it was good to yeah. see Zorba. Um, 
and you're right, the game does slow down all of a sudden. There's a lot of, there are moments in the game and all that sort of thing, but. Mm. It just goes the, back to normal a bit, like goes, the Madden yeah. sort of ends. And, well, yeah. Manly start getting the ball. Like yeah, they, yeah, that helps. Yeah. yeah. Um, with eight to go, Head puts a grubber in looking for Blacklock and it very nearly lands for him and just doesn't quite. Um, and then there are a couple of knock-ons not called against Manly and they bomb it downfield. It's Andrew Walker bombs downfield. It's a terrible kick that Blacklock is entitled to catch in the end goal. And for some reason, he drops it. And not only does he drop it, he passes it to Ben Hornby in the end goal with defences there, with defenders there. Um, And that's when Laurie says, oh, they they get a set at them. And they said, Laurie says, I'll try now, I'll wrap it up. But they they knock it on 10 out. And with five and a half to go, the Dragons get the ball back. They launch, the Dragons launch a huge kick downfield. Stewart manages to get out of the end goal. But Laurie said, I love when this happens. (laughs) I just live for it. Because you get it, you only get it about five times a year. The off the second, like off the second tackle, they swing it to Stevenson to take a hit up, and he just gets completely jammed and forced back in goal. So the kickers, <laughs> like the fullbacks, got out, and then they get taken back in. I live for I love it. Love that. And it is from there that the Dragons go square. Sims puts a ball, puts Withers through with a lovely square ball. He's dragged down. They go wide with momentum, and Head throws a wide ball to Justin Paul. He just he's just going to he's just yeah. they're all standing still and he tr- goes over them and scores to go thirty four all. And Mark if you Rebell, had them winning this game, if you yeah. had them winning this game, did you have them winning it with like Matt Head hitting a wide running like angle running edge Justin Paul? Not really. Like as the, the, the clinching play, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's look the, when that happens. Um, it, it the, oh, after the goal as well. This whole scene from this try being scored to after the goal being kicked, which is obviously a fairly important goal, is just beautiful because they start putting the camera onto the hill. Yeah. And you start seeing these mad Dragons fans. There's a guy there with a mullet. Yeah, I in know. A, in the St. George V with a Ted, like a Tui's extra. Yeah. Shot, like a full bottle. And he's just like into the camera and, and everyone around him is like, it's been rain, a bit wet, not not saturated, but enough that you're sopping. And like, you, there's this like, sort of lady in her fifties pumping the double fist. And then the guys around her going, yeah, with the fingers up. And it is, Every rugby league fan knows it, and there's nothing more beautiful than Sydney crowds, like like these Sydney people that go to the old Sydney clubs and get behind it. It's just wonderful. Like I was getting, I was just, I was getting a little bit emotional. It was just so Likewise. good to see like these guys on the hill and they're going mad, and then they're going crazy. Then Riddell's about to kick the goal, and the whole lot of them are pissing wet. The guy with the Ted is doing the Riddell point. They've all the got everyone's doing the Riddell yeah, arm. Everyone's doing the Riddell. The guy with the he's got the Ted in one hand, drinking his two, his extra dry in the glass bottle at the ground, whilst also doing the Riddell. I love the Riddell arm, arm because oh. it was so stupid. Like it just, <laughs> I can't imagine it did anything, you know? No, no, but, it, no, it wasn't. And they're all just like launching it anyway and he kicks it and it's just, it's yeah. beautiful. The, the crowd is beautiful. It really, mm. really, really And he's been is. kicking horribly too, Riddell, but he puts this one over yep. for 36-34. And you think, well, that'll be it now. It's mm. all over. Wrong. Mm-hmm. Dead wrong. Manly, short kickoff with three to go. Get it back and Albie Torrens breaks down the wing. They, uh, they they look for just a second like they're going to break away and score, and he's dragged down. They get a full set starting on the thirty and turn it over two plays later. And you go, oh well, they they've had their that's that'll be their shot. That'll be it now. That, 
this leads to one of the greatest, I think better than anything Laurie Daly's done so far. So there's now a minute 10 to go. And when they turn it over, when they turn it over, Laurie Daly says really earnestly, he goes, the priority here has got to be ball control for St. George. They've got to make their priority ball control. No shit. It's 36-34 with a minute 10 to go and they've got the ball on their own try line. He's got to hang on to it. No shit, they've got to hang on to it. Like, just like, like why is he commentating games? Like, really I don't know. He was dreadful. Yeah, it's, it's very, very funny. And credit to him for it. Um, yeah. They, so they get to thirty. They get to about forty seconds out, and they get to last tackle. And head just drills it completely sideways into touch along the ground. Yeah, and that. Means that, and the clock stops with thirty three seconds to go and a scrum on about just short of halfway. They try on a short side play off the scrum, and they put Scott Donald away down the left hand. Or they they attempt to put Scott Donald away down the left hand touch line, and he's got like he's given what we've seen of him so far in this game. He's got a corridor and he could possibly have done something, but he drops it. It's not a good pass. It goes behind him and the ball falls on the ground. It's like a bullet pass and he's flying onto it. And in the circumstances where it hits him on the chest and he manages to hold it at full pace, I don't think that they'd have been able to get him in cover. I reckon he scorches 50 to score. He, he's every chance. Like he's a real pace, chance to score. Yeah, yeah. It's just a hard play to execute. Like you're trying the miracle play and you're giving a flat, hard pass to a guy screaming onto it on the wing. But if he holds it, yeah, they were a chance to score. Which, is, a, which is ridiculous because, like, this game like, has given us so much. If, like... It would have gone from it would have gone. I don't even know what how people would have handled forty to thirty six. You know what I mean? Like yeah, with people's the heads would have exploded. The other team back that far and then winning. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like scoring yeah. twenty the twenty six unanswered points in twenty minutes and then losing. Um, yeah. And so with ten seconds to go, it's over. The dragons are in possession with ten seconds left, leading by two after engineering one of the great comebacks in Premiership history. But it's not over, Gazzy. Is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> Nathan Blacklock kicks for himself. Why? <laughs> With the ball up by two. Why? And the crowd just, know. the air it's just the sucks back. out of the ground. Like they just, the crowd I are know. all on their feet celebrating the win. And then it's like, oh my God, why? What have you done? Nathan Blacklock has kicked downfield, not got it back and kicked it to Brett Stewart. It's <laughs> you unbelievable. possibly don't want the ball in broken field with like, a try to win the game. You know, like when, you know, you need to make a tackle on anyone. Brett Stewart, giving Brett Stewart broken space for no reason on full time. I don't oh. know if that's the way to go. Yeah. He's just, we don't deserve him. We really don't. He, so he, but it's not a chip and chase. Like it's a, like a punt downfield. He just, it's a hoof, yeah. It's one of a poor carriage yeah. hoofing. Yeah. 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 Um, so he, ta- yeah, it is a bit carriage like. That's true. And thank- thankfully for the Blacklock legacy, um, Manly spread the ball from the left-hand touchline to the all the way over to the right-hand touchline, uh, and there's a forward pass called, and they 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 lose, uh, and the Dragons avoid the uh, or, or Blacklock avo- avoids the kind of lifetime of shaming that would have come with with conceding this game after this comeback. Um, I've I was going to say I've never seen anything like that, but I have. Paul Carriage, um, yeah. we just don't deserve him. No, no. It, it, to have done everything he did and to then give us the in-goal pass and then the chip kick for himself yeah. up by two on full time. And he's very funny. When when that game ends, all the players are shaking hands and stuff and looking, and he just puts his head in his hands and, like, does a little shake, like, oh, 
yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Like, and, he, and his teammates are looking at him, and he shakes his head and like puts his head. In. So he has this real look of sheep. He's just like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have gone for that. Option. I don't really know what was going on there. Yeah. yeah, he um he he later was he was later interviewed about it and said, yeah, I don't know what that was about. I don't really know why I did that. Uh, he ended up being an uh, investigator for an obscene gesture made towards the crowd um, yeah. after this game. Can I say? I've got no problem with footballers giving making obscene gestures at the crowd. Like no, it's a two really. way it's a two way street, and as far as yeah. I'm concerned, you know the crowd are allowed to re- let rip at the players, and so, and so they should. But the players should be allowed to let rip back. Do we know like what the can't... gesture was? No, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't know. But I think you no. know. I, good luck to them. I, I'm all for yeah. footballers have to cop it, and they, you know. And that's as it the should more be. obscene, the better you're saying. But basically. but 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 if they've got a cop it, they should be able to give it back. That's all I'm saying. I don't have a problem yeah, with it. See, you're you're more about you, you're sort of saying get away from the one punch rule and go to the third man in rule. <laughs> third like man in crowd yeah, yeah, player yeah. Inter- interaction. So if like you flip off Nathan Blacklock, and yeah, he flips imagine you off back all fair play. But if then sort of like in comes Ben Cray or something, that's like yeah, he's also throw him on. He's got to go for that. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah, the yeah, third man. Enough. God, I love the third man in rule. I'm really grateful for you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but Much uh, better no, than the one punch rule. But, yeah. I would never flip off Nathan Blacklock because he's a god, and it would be it would be sacrilegious. No, um, yeah. I yeah, I would only bad example. I I'd only I'd that. only salute um, and and you know uh, and 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 thank him for his for his years of service. Um, Let's and move everything from he that scenario us. and Trent put Trent Barrett in and make oh, sure. it you yeah, flipping well, that, off Trent Barrett and him yeah, putting yeah, him yeah. off back. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's that's getting closer. You're to a possible. shit player. You should have played reserve grade. That's yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, good. Get lost, pretty boy. Yeah. Anyway. Idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Gazzy, I I loved watching this. It was fantastic. It was just it was a perfect thing to watch during summer before the season starts because it's not too dense. Like it's good. It's just you know. It's, it's, it reminds it's, you why you why you watch the game in the first place, doesn't it's it? It's just perfect, like Sunday afternoon or Super Saturday kind of. It's not the intensity yeah. of the finals. It's just like no. complete helter skelter entertainment. Um, and like I did a lot of yelping and cackling yeah. during this game. You know, yeah. a lot of like, Whoa, you know, what's this? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, it is. I I think if we were going to stick at one place at the cemetery ever and just stay in that section, it would be this era, the early two thousands or our GM. We'd just be in there mm. watching Cook games from about two thousand or like ninety eight to about two thousand and five. Is about yeah. where everything wonderful in our history happened. Yeah, you that's know? about right. Um, yeah, is it anything you'd like to add to this wonderful spectacle? We're no, going to put a call up. We're going to put a call up through the week and ask, "Were you there?" We're going to ask what. Was anyone at this game? Um, and did you leave? And did you leave? And if so, did you <laughs> yeah. leave early? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, we'll yeah. put that about and see what uh, see what people have to say. Um, thank you, Gazzy. Thank you as always for uh, for joining us in the cemetery. Uh, where where in the world would you rather be than two thousand and four round twenty five St George Illawarra thirty six Manly thirty four? Um, and and you know Manly fans, I'm sorry we've done this to you, but uh, but you know. You're, you're, you, we've, we've done your service in the past, so, you know, that, that your day will come. Uh, Gazzy, until next time on the cemetery, it's bye for now. Here's Timmons playing it for Young on the last. Head with a chip over the top. Six more tackles. Blacklock has it. He puts a kick in. A chance here for Matt Cooper. 